morning. Welcome to Lakeside. Merry Christmas. Um, so we've got snow on the ground. I don't know if you guys noticed there was a little bit of dusting. Uh, I, had, I had family Christmas movie last night. So um, you combine that with like, we sang Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which is one of my like top five Christmas carols ever, Christmas hymns, whatever, however you want to define that. So I'm in the Christmas mood. So Merry Christmas, guys. You don't have to appreciate that. That's okay. Um, here's the thing, though. We're talking today about Christmas, obviously. We're the week before. Uh, and we're talking about uh, a baby being born. We're talking about a young mom who, who takes care of that baby, who in all the stories wears blue. I'm not sure why she always wears blue. Um, and, and it's like this perfect little book that you would give a toddler, right? Like it's a board book and it's got eight pages and it's got like animals in it and it's wonderful. And that's a part of the story. We're, we're also talking about what it means to be human, what it means what the character of God is. We're talking about things that we can spend a lifetime thinking through and never actually understand, right? Like that's, that's kind of the thing about Christmas is that as much as it is fun and it's cute and it's got all the things for little kids, it's also got things that, that we cannot even imagine actually being true and yet somehow we're asked to believe them at, at Christmas. The story of Christmas is this, that Jesus, fully God, became fully man so that he could be our savior and king. That's actually the story of Christmas. So we're in Matthew chapter one this morning. Uh, Mike did a great job last week with the genealogy and, and helping us sort of set up, not just for this week, but we're actually gonna end up going through the whole book of Matthew. Um, but Matthew doesn't spend a ton of time on the Christmas story. Matthew doesn't like pour all of this like, these, these times into it. The one that we read this morning is actually from Luke, right? Luke spends a lot of detail on talking about what actually happened. Matthew kind of gives us a really quick summary of what happened, but Matthew talks about what it means, right? So in Matthew, we're gonna not talk about so much the actual details of Christmas, but we're gonna talk quite a bit about what the fact that Christmas happened actually means for us. So turn with me to Matthew chapter one. We're gonna start in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill all that the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and he took his wife, but he did not know her until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. So this is a very casual way of introducing probably the most surprising pregnancy in the history of the world. Mary's pregnant and the angel tells her that and yet it's not like you're not the dad, it's like there is no dad. <laughs> like it's a, different, it's a different conversation, right? Um, 
And, and some, of that, some of that sort of casualness makes sense because it is Jesus. He is God in the flesh. He is the king of the world. So like, you're not gonna make a huge deal. You're like, no, no, he was born and it was weird, but also he was born, you know, he was born the king. Um, and because he's sort of the prophesied, he is the prophesied Messiah, the fact that his birth is amazing shouldn't shock us. But at the same time, you're just like, yeah, so the birth happened this way. There was no dad. Uh, it's a little bit ridiculous. Mary's engaged, but the, the text is very specific that they're not sleeping together. Like it's very specific that this is not Joseph's kid. Um, and, and Aaron read earlier, he t- read about how the angel explained what was going on to Mary, right? So the angel comes to Mary and he's like, by the way, you're gonna be pregnant. We know that you don't have a guy that you're sleeping with. We know that you're engaged, but not married. That's okay. The Holy Spirit's gonna handle this whole thing. And she's like, okay. But also biologically, you know, that's not a thing, right? <laughs> like we're not, we're, we're talking about this, but you know, like I'm a human being and this doesn't just happen that way. Um, but she's willing to go with what God said. She's willing to be obedient. Uh, and, and when you think about that even, that's a pretty, pretty tall order, right? So the angel comes to her and he's like, yeah, you're gonna have this baby and there's not gonna be a dad. So he's essentially saying, you're going to be a single mom. Like there's not another way around that. And for us in our culture, like we've got social services and being a single mom is a thing and we know that it's hard, right? Like everybody that knows a single mom is like, man, that woman works so hard and does so much for her kids, right? Like we all sort of understand that. But socially and culturally, we accept that as not ideal, but normal, like sort of within the range of normal. Historically, it was way worse than that. By saying, yeah, I'm willing to be a single mom, she's basically saying, I'm willing to spend my entire life on the outside fringes of society, never to be accepted. Because it would have been dishonorable for her. And in a culture like this, honor's a big deal, right? So it would have been dishonoring to her, her dad, who it actually would have been, it would have been dishonoring if she ever got married to that guy. It would have been a blot on her character. Like, you're a bad person, and therefore, we don't really trust you with anything. There weren't really any jobs that were open for women. So she, wouldn't, she would have sort of been, okay, I'm gonna never have a job. I'm always gonna be on the outside of society. And I basically have to hope that the best people in society don't hate me so much that they won't give me enough to survive. Right? Like that, that was what she was signing up for. She had no idea how Joseph was gonna respond. So she's saying, essentially, she's going to become a beggar, that her son, that this child, like God promised that this is going to be the Messiah, but she's like, yeah, but I'm going to raise him on the outskirts of society and never, he's never going to be accepted until he sort of fulfills who he actually is. Um, But again, right at the end of, of what Aaron read, it says, she responds with, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let me, let it be to me according to your word. And so she, she responds with, okay, if social rejection is the thing that God's calling me to do, I guess that's what I need to do. Like that was, that was her response. She's willing to sort of sign up to be poor and on the outside the rest of her life if that's what God calls her to. Now, she accepts that, but then there's still the fact that she's got to have that conversation with Joseph Um, which, I mean, that had to be a weird conversation, right? Like, so here's the thing. 
I'm pregnant. And you're like, okay, well, that's a deal breaker. Like, it's not my kid, right? And she's like, yeah, also, there is no dad. And he's like, right, sure, I'm buying that, right? He's like, he's done. And I, I understand that, right? Like, he had this relationship with this woman where he's like, no, we're going to get married. We're going to live together. Like, this is going to be this amazing thing. And then you just went and got pregnant, and it's not my kid. Like, this is an issue. And so he, he calls off the wedding. The thing is, is, again, in this day and age, a wedding or, or a, an engagement is not the same as it is today. So today, you're engaged and you break it off. It's like, what? Okay, well, hopefully we didn't send out the invitations yet, right? But then you're like, what? Change your Instagram, you know, like, okay, single again, re-download your dating apps, and you're pretty much good to go. Like, kind of, that's the only thing. In this day and age, it was, okay, we have to actually file for divorce, like agreeing to be engaged was the same as agreeing to get married. So they have to file officially legally for divorce. So when Joseph, when it says Joseph was willing to put her away quietly, he's saying, we're not gonna make a big deal out of this divorce. We're just gonna handle it quietly on the side. Because legally he could call in the whole village and say like, okay, she's pregnant. It's not my kid. I want this divorce. And then she'll, it'll be very public and very embarrassing for her. So he says, her life is already pretty much ruined. I'm gonna handle this the best that I can. And so his response is, it's the best that it could be under the circumstances, okay? So he doesn't wanna publicly humiliate her. He still has an attitude of trying to, to serve her to a certain degree. He's not gonna you know, spend the rest of his life with her, but he's like, I also don't wanna be a jerk. She's apparently made some mistakes. That's okay, that's kind of on her. Um, so we look at both of their lives. We look at Mary's response to what the angel said. We look at Joseph's response to what the angel said. And, and it really helps us understand who they, who they are as people, like what their character is. They're not really in life about themselves. They're both looking at each other and, and at what God has called them to do. And they're, they're sort of like, okay, if this is what the step of obedience is, I'm willing to do that. I'm not gonna try and go after what I could get or what I want, but I'm gonna acknowledge the fact that this is what God has for me and I'm gonna try and be obedient to that. And so Joseph is sort of the same response. Like when, when the angel comes to him, he's like, yeah, okay, I, I get that, I'll, I'll be obedient. Um, and so that's their starting point is, is sacrificial obedience, which I think when we look at the story of Jesus, we, we see them and we're like, oh, they're this perfect couple that had Jesus. You're like, yeah, but they didn't become a great couple because they were such great people, like sort of inherently. They, they understood sacrifice and obedience to God was the thing that put them in these positions. Um, and so as we kind of talk through what we're going here, Remember that. Don't forget the fact that Jesus' parents were both people that were loving, sacrificially obedient servants of God, okay? Verse 20. So this is the, the angels talking to Joseph. And this is really kind of the meat of what we're gonna be talking about. Imagine that, the angel tells you all the good things. Like that's a pretty easy place to be. So uh, verse 20, it says, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the prophet had spoken. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So 
the angel's message to Joseph has two huge phrases that are in it. And then Matthew's commentary offers us another huge phrase. So really for this morning, I just want to work through those three things and what they mean, not just in, for Jesus, but also for us um, thousands of years later. So the first, the first thing is that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So the angel confirms Mary's unlikely confession that she was not sleeping with another guy, that it was actually miraculous, right? That was, that's a great news for Joseph. She has more character than he maybe initially gave her credit for. Uh, also, <laughs> this is a little bit unique, right? Like in the history of the world, this is actually the thing that Christianity lives and dies on. Like in a lot of ways, if you believe that God came in the flesh to humankind, then the virgin birth is like, yeah, I can buy that. The fact that that was a miracle that happened in order for Jesus to be born that way, totally plausible. If you look at Jesus and you're like, not sure that he's God, then the virgin birth is ridiculous. You're like, nope, Mary got knocked up. It was some other dude's kid and she just was trying to cover it. Those are really the only choices that you have about it. As Christians, when we look at who God is and what God accomplishes and, and sort of everything that he's done, the virgin birth isn't that weird for us, which is weird. <laughs> like we just accept that. We're like, okay, you know what? God does what he wants. God chose to work in this way. And we can have that conversation about why God miraculously did that. If you don't believe that God intervenes in history in the way that he does in, in Christianity, this is dumb. Like obviously this is wrong if you don't believe in, in what God is doing. And so this is really one of the points where Christians sort of separate themselves from the rest of the world. We're like, yes, miraculous conception that lead to God being man on earth. We're good with that. And everybody else is like, you're insane. Like that's just the, the response. The problem is if you reject it, then you've got to say, okay, so Joseph bought it. Right, like Joseph was okay with this. He bought Mary's story at some level. And you're like, oh, well, they were dumb. They didn't understand. You're like, okay. The fact that it was 2,000 years ago and they didn't have cars and phones didn't, doesn't mean that they don't know how babies work. Like, it, they're not completely stupid. Like, they just didn't have a cell phone. Like, technology doesn't mean that you'd understand human biology. Like, people have been having babies a lot longer than 2,000 years. They knew how this happened, right? So for Joseph to just accept this and be like, you know what? I am going to allow this to go on, and, and I believe that this isn't my kid, and also I believe that Mary's right. Like, you've got to say either Joseph is dumb or he actually believed Mary's story. So this is God working in Mary in order to cause something that's completely unique. Uh, and this is, we understand that Jesus has a divine nature and this is where it sort of comes from. The understanding that it was the Holy Spirit that caused this baby to born outside of any physical means. And again, as Christians, we're like, yeah, fine, I get that. I understand that. I can accept that. And the reason that we do that is because when we look at who Jesus was over the course of his life, it's not really that shocking that he's God in the flesh. Like he does things all the time that are just like, yep, that's a thing that God would do. Or, yep, that's a power that God would have. And we just, yeah, I mean, we, you read through the gospels and that what's that's what happens. I want to take you to just, um, just one spot uh, where Jesus demonstrates this in a lot of different ways really, really quickly. Uh, so turn to Mark 2. So this is Jesus as an adult. He's teaching near his home. So it's a village that's not too far from the place that he grew up. And a bunch of people are there listening to his te him teach. 
So he's teaching and all these people are listening and there's four guys that want to bring their buddy to be healed. They knew that Jesus had the ability to heal. They want to bring their buddy to, to be healed and they can't get there because there's too many people te- around Jesus listening to him teach. Um, and so then they come, they bring their buddy, they lure him through the roof and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven to the guy, right? He's paralyzed and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Not what he was hoping for, but you take what you can get. Everyone's super offended because they're like, okay, Jesus, we know that you're a teacher. We know that you can heal people, but you're not allowed to say that you can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, shoot, you're right. I forgot. I'm sorry. Um, So in there, and they're not saying this, they're not telling Jesus this, but they're thinking this. They're like, this guy's taking the spot that only God can take. He's committing blasphemy. He's an evil person. That's going through their brains. And so we'll pick it up in verse eight. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out from before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So they're thinking, Jesus, you're a blasphemer because only God can forgive sins. And Jesus responds to their unspoken question. He's like, oh, you think that. So I'm going to tell you what you think, and now I'm going to prove to you that you're wrong. Because which is easier, to say to this guy his sins are forgiven, which you'll never know, or to say, pick up your bed and walk. Because forgiving sins is actually much harder, but nobody actually knows the result. Let me prove it to you. Pick up your bed and walk. And the guy picks up his bed and walks. So Jesus is like, A, I know what you're thinking, and I can respond to it. Not too many people that I've met can do that. B, I'm going to forgive sins, and I, I'm going to prove to you that I can forgive sins by healing this guy. So bam, 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 just three in a row where you're like, that's only God can do that. That's not a thing that anybody else can do. And we read through that story and we're like, oh, it's so cool that Jesus healed this guy. You're like, Jesus also read people's thoughts and forgave sin right before that. Also pretty impressive. We don't really think about it. But again, this is completely outside. Like you have to accept that Jesus is God in order for this to be a thing that you're willing to accept. That's the point that we have to fall back on is if Jesus is God, forgiving sins and reading people's thoughts and healing paralytics, those are all just things that God can do because he's God. And if Jesus is not God, then this has to be a story that was just made up. And yet we look at that and we're like, so why is God here? Why is Jesus on earth? That, that's the part that maybe we struggle with is like, okay, if Jesus is God, we can see that he thought he was God, but like, why would he be here? Why would he care that much? And, and the answer ultimately is that he loved us enough to sacrifice himself to come to earth and do that for us. And so we think about that and we think about that in, in, in contrast to the way that the rest of the world thinks. And we think about that in, in light of what Mary and Joseph thought. And what we realize is that one of the big undercurrents of the the Christmas story, of Christianity for sure, but also of the the Christmas story in particular, is that sacrificial love is really a thing that, that God values, and that it's a thing that plays out over and over and over again throughout the New Testament. Mary and Joseph both accepted where God was leading at tremendous personal cost. And Jesus, in the fact that he was God come in the flesh, sacrificed a whole bunch. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to choose to be born 
If he did choose to be born, he could have been born in a palace, wherever, he didn't care. But no, he chose to be born in a stable, in a manger to this poor couple that did not have the resources to support him. And, and he did that not because he didn't want to be that, you know, always in control, always powerful. He gave that away in order to come to earth. So sacrificial love is really a big piece of what it means to be a Christian, and it's a big part of Christmas. So my first application question for you is this. How can I love someone sacrificially this Christmas? And that's really tough because Christmas is a time where we like to sort of close ranks and hang out with the people that we like and feel that love and, and experience kind of the joy of, I don't have any, you know, family problems or issues. I don't struggle with these people that I'm hanging around. Like, I just want to be around people that I like and that like me, and then we won't have any problems. And loving sacrificially is what God calls us to, and that's a little bit harder. So maybe there's somebody at school or, or work or someone in your family that you really struggle to love, and I, I want you to just think about how you can love them sacrificially this Christmas. Not just show them a little bit of love and back out, but really say, I care about you as a human being in ways that probably I can't explain because of what Jesus did for me. No matter how hard it is, we always have to strive to be the light of Jesus in people's lives. Like he was the light to us and so we have to work in order to show that to the world around us. That, that has to be a part of, of what we do. The second big thing that the angel says is you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Um, because of a bunch of translation problems, Jesus is actually the same name as Joshua, and it means God saves. So we don't see it because of the J, but it's actually Yahweh, which is the, the Hebrew word for God, saves. And so when Jesus comes to earth, his name is God saves people. Not just people, but everything. Like God's gonna save. Um, and that wasn't just his name. Like his name, that was his name, but it was more than that. It was also everything that he came to, to do and to be. All three of the, the synoptic gospels, John doesn't say it, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say what the point of Jesus coming to earth was. In, in Matthew 20 and in Mark 10, it says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right, so it talks about Jesus came, Jesus' purpose on earth was to come and to give his life to save us. And, and Luke says something similar. He says, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. It was about Jesus coming to earth in order to save us. He came to earth not just to be the God man, not to just come to earth and be like, hey guys, I'm God and it's awesome that I'm God and you all need to bow down and worship me. Uh, he could have done that and, and it would have been very easy for him to do that, but he didn't do it that way. He came to earth specifically because he loved us and because he wanted to save us. We're gonna talk about Jesus as king quite a bit in Matthew. Uh, Matthew makes, his whole book is built on making the case that Jesus is the king that we need in order to redeem the world. Um, that Jesus is the promised Messiah, that he's gonna be the one that rescues us all. But, but a big piece of rescuing all of us is rescuing each of us, right? Like Jesus didn't just come to fix the whole world. He also came to fix every one of the people that are in the world. He didn't come just to fix all the big systems. He came because he loves us as individuals and he wants a relationship with us. 
And so Jesus was God in eternity past. And he said, because I love the people of earth, I'm gonna go there and I'm gonna show them how much I love them. And he came to earth and he was born in a stable and then he died on a cross because he wanted to take our sins away that he could redeem us all. We were so far away from God. We didn't even, we still sometimes don't understand how far away from God we are because of our sin. And Jesus said, I understand that. I know that I'm gonna die in order to fix that relationship, right? So his death takes the price of our sin and removes it. So we don't have to pay that anymore. And now we have a relationship with God as a result of what Jesus has done. So Jesus was born, conceived by the Holy Spirit as like he was God in the flesh and he came to earth because he loved us so that he could die in our place. And ultimately we, we celebrate Christmas, not just for the sake of Christmas, but also looking forward to Easter. That Christ came because he loved us and, and he came to earth in a stable, yeah, but ultimately the reason he came was to die on the cross. And so we recognize that and that's a part of what we understand at Easter. So Christmas is really celebrating the path that God chose, but the end of that path is always Easter. Have you accepted Jesus' offer of salvation? Have you come to him in faith and said, Lord, I don't have a relationship with you like I need. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to have that close fellowship with you. I want you to come into my life and save me from my sin. Have you done that? Because we always have to see the manger with the cross in the background. It always has to be that way. You can't really celebrate Christmas until you've had that relationship with Jesus. There's one more phrase, and this isn't actually the angel speaking. It's Matthew adding to what the angel was saying. That phrase is this. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So it's really another angle on what the, the angel had already said, that he would be from the Holy Spirit, right? So it's a, it's a fuller understanding of what it means that Mary uh, had the child by the power of the Holy Spirit. So God came as a human being. That's what it means. Not some temporary disguise, not some like thing where he was just kind of like wrapped himself in skin, but he actually came as a real human being. So when Jesus was a kid, Right? He was fully God, and if he skinned his knees, light didn't shoot out. It was blood. It was, he was a kid, right? Like he was actually a real human being. He didn't like stand there at times and be like, these human forms are so fragile and limiting, right? Like he was, no, he was a kid. He was a real person. It wasn't weird. It wasn't like some craziness where you're like, no, this, is, this kid is not from around here. Like, no, he was a real kid. He was normal. He was, he was fully human. He was also God in the flesh. And I think sometimes we, we look at only half of this at a time. Like we can see Jesus as a human being. We're like, yeah, no, he was a dude. He did this thing. He slept, he ate, he did all those things. Or we look at him as God and we're like, oh yeah, he could raise the dead. It was awesome. But he was both of those things 100% all the time. And I think that's really where we struggle with it. The funny thing is, is when you read the gospel, there's not a ton of places that actually talk about the fact that Jesus was human. It's almost like if you had a friend and you had to write a story about them, you wouldn't feel compelled to explain the fact that they were a human being. You would assume that everybody knows that they're human. You're like, I mean, they're my friend, we hang out, they're just a person, I shouldn't have to define that for anyone, right? 
And so that's kind of how the gospel authors approached it. They didn't go out of their way to explain that Jesus was human. Really, everybody knew that Jesus was a dude. They were just like, we're not sure that he's God. So they really focused more on that piece of it. But when you read through the gospels, what you discover is there's all these little pieces that you're like, well, obviously he was a human being. If, if it was just this abstract spirit that was there, he wouldn't do those things. Turn to Mark 11. Mark 11, starting verse 12, it says this. On the following day, so Jesus had been teaching. He's been teaching for like a bunch of time, so he's, he's working really hard. Um, and it says this. He's, On the following day, they came from Bethany. He was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. That's such a human thing to do. <laughs> like, you're on a road trip. You're hungry. You pull off at a, at a stop, right? You're at a gas station. You're like, what do you mean I can't buy food here? <laughs> I've been on the road for three hours. I'm so hungry. I pulled off specifically to eat here. And you're saying, no, like I'm so frustrated. I'm so angry in that moment. Now, Jesus is making a bigger point with the fig tree thing, but you just read that and you're like, no, I, I feel that emotion. Like I'm hungry and I'm on a trip and suddenly I can't eat. Like, ah, uh, everybody in the car is gonna be cranky because I'm hungry. Like that's how that goes. There's another spot in Mark chapter four, uh, verse 35. It says, so again, Jesus has been working all day. So he's probably had like a 14 hour day teaching from, from dawn till dusk. And then it says in verse 35, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with them. And a great windstorm rose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Right? So Jesus, like he was a man. He spent all day teaching. He gets in the boat on the, for the ride home and he's like, I'm gone. Like he falls asleep immediately. And no matter how crazy the weather gets, he's just sleeping through it. If you've ever had a super intense job. So I worked in Ypsilanti for a summer and it was this really intense like demolition job. I slept every day on the way home. Like my buddy was driving, I just conked out, right? And, and you're like, okay, maybe I've never done that. If you're a parent, you have totally understood this level of tiredness where you're just like, can you leave me alone so I can sleep for just like three minutes? I'll be fine, I promise. And there's other glimpses of Jesus being human, right? He's, he cries at a friend's funeral. He's thirsty on the cross. He's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's anxious. Like these are all experiences that Jesus has that we, we see those things and we understand them. Um, and that's what it means that God was in the flesh. It, it wasn't that he was just sort of like wrapped up in like this fakeness, but that he was actually a human being that experienced the things that human beings experience. Think of it this way. If you've got a sibling group or a friend group or like a coworker group, you have shared experiences, right? Like there's things that you sort of like, all of us here have this thing that we have in common. Right, like that's, that's kind of just the way that human social interactions work. So for my siblings, there's two things that we sort of joke about all the time. One is celebrity station wagons have a rear facing seat. My dad had like three of those, like in a row. So every single one of us sat on a long trip to Illinois in the back of that celebrity wagon facing backwards. It makes you nauseous. We all hated it, but we all did it. Like it was a part of the experience. So like the menorah kids, we get together, we're like, oh, celebrity station wagon, right? And they're all 30 years old now. So if you see one, you take a picture, you send it to your siblings. You're like, ha, dad's trying to buy this, I know, right? 
Or the, the other shared experience is we all had holes in our socks all the time. And it wasn't because my parents couldn't afford socks. It was because my dad didn't put like tile upstairs. He was redoing the house. So like the upstairs floor being finished was the last thing. So there's like four years where it was just like OSB on the floor upstairs, which tears your socks up terribly. So like we'd buy socks and like three weeks later, there's big holes in the bottom. It's just, it was this ongoing experience of our childhood that we always had hot socks with holes. And we'll joke about it. Like, well, yeah, no, I still don't wear socks around the house. Why? Because in my brain, I'm like, they're just going to get holy. It doesn't, don't wear them. But it's a, it's a shared experience that we all have. It's a common experience that we have. And, and we all have those things, right? Like if you've got a friend group, you've got a restaurant that you go to, there's these shared experience. Jesus coming to earth means that God shared those experiences with us. He looked at humanity as this big friend group and he's like, what's the common thing? What do we all experience? And he experienced all those things the same way that we do. The, the things that make us human are the things that Jesus experienced, right? Like he woke up in the morning tired. He, he was cold. He was hot. He was hungry. Every single thing that we experience as human beings, he went through. He experienced those things in the same way that we do. And, and he shares that with us. He didn't just come in the first century as a king or in this century as a billionaire, right? Like he came as a human being that was normal, that had all the normal struggles of human beings. Like that that was what he chose to do. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. In Hebrews 4, he says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us, then, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So when, when we read that God is with us, that Emmanuel came to earth, that's so comforting because God experienced all the things that I experience. He went through every one of the struggles that I struggle with. He was tempted in the same ways that I'm tempted. And he comes and he says, I love you and I'm with you and I'm gonna walk with you through the things that you're going through because I understand. Like he's beside us and he cares about us. We don't pray to a God that is far away, that has never suffered, that has lived this wonderful abstract existence that cannot relate to us. We pray to a God that has lived the human experience, that has suffered and been tempted the same ways that we are. I know that I'm more susceptible to sin and to making bad decisions when I'm what? Hungry, angry, tired? Like all of those things that I experience as a human being make me a less good version of myself. And Jesus went through all of those things and was tempted. He dealt with that. He's not just out there somewhere like, He's a great God, but he's with us. He understands everything that we go through. Like I struggle with making a, a bad decision because of my circumstances. Jesus sat in those circumstances and struggled the same way. I struggle with a temptation. Jesus was tempted in the same way that I am and didn't stumble. And so he understands what we go through and he puts his arm around us and says, I love you. I'm going to walk with you through this. My last application question isn't really a question that you're gonna be able to act on, okay? So I'm gonna warn you. But write this down and think about it, especially as we go into, into Christmas over the next week. What does it mean to me that God came to earth as a human to save us? Like God's God, 
But he chose to become a human being like I am because he loved me and wanted to save me. And I, I ask that question like it's a thing to think about because I've, I honestly think about this every Christmas. <laughs> and I think about it and I, I wrestle with it and I sort of end with like, it means so much that I can't even, like I get new stuff all the time, right? Like it means a lot that God loved me, that he cared enough and he put on human flesh to become like me so that he could walk beside me and, and show me that love. Like it's not something I can easily comprehend. And I think about it and I, I get overwhelmed by it and I back away and I come back to it. There's, there's always things there that God became a human being to save me. Let's look at the last two verses as we wrap up. Uh, then Joseph wrote, woke from his sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So that's what we get for the birth. <laughs> he called his name Jesus. In Matthew, it's really fascinating a lot of times the things that he chooses to write down. Like the, the little prophecy that he quotes from Isaiah, the Emmanuel prophecy, that has been argued about for different reasons for, for 1,850 years. If you want to dive into that, you can find whole treatises about people talking about what it means that it's Emmanuel, right? Like big theological things. So he puts that in there. That's really interesting. And then there's a bunch of stuff he doesn't put in there. He doesn't do, you know, the shepherds. He doesn't do any of the actual birth narrative where they're going to Bethlehem. He doesn't cover any of that stuff. He just says, Mary gave birth to a son. And so the question is, is like, well, why, why didn't you put that in, man? That's really interesting stuff. Luke got all that stuff. What, did you not know that stuff? Like, what, what did you not, why didn't you put that in? And really, when we look at that, what we realize is that Matthew's got a very specific point. And the point that Matthew's trying to make isn't all the details. He's trying to say that Jesus is the king and that he's worthy of worship. And so the genealogy, you read through that, right? It points us back to the fact that he's the fulfillment of this prophecy and he has the right to be a king. And then this angel comes and says, by the way, he's not just this kid that's gonna be born, he's God in the flesh. You need to be aware of that, right? And so he talks about that really specifically. But he doesn't talk about all the other details because he wants us to focus on the fact that Jesus isn't just this baby that was born, but that he's the king and that we need to worship him because he's God that has come in the flesh. So as we celebrate Christmas, we're not just looking at the baby in the manger. We're looking at the baby in the manger that grew up to become the man that died on the cross and that the man that died on the cross ultimately is the king that saves the world. And so that's, that's our focus, that, that ultimately that he's the king, that he's Emmanuel, God come in the flesh, that's going to rule and reign and fix everything. Like I started off with, Jesus is fully God and he became fully man so that he could be our savior and king. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We're overwhelmed by the idea that God came to earth in human flesh. That he loved us enough to put on not just a human suit, but to actually become one of us. To be a real person and, and struggle with all the things that we struggle with. To be tired, to be lonely, to be burned out. And he did that so that now 
resurrected, he can walk with us through that. That he died for our sins out of love for us and that as the risen savior, he walks beside us and loves us and comforts us and encourages us to continue to draw closer to you. I pray that this Christmas, that we wouldn't just let it be the baby in the manger, that it wouldn't be about the pretty story with Mary, but that we would recognize that you love us enough to become one of us. And that that would, that would change the way that we think about ourselves, that it would think about, it would change the way that we think about the world around us, and ultimately that it would draw us closer to you. We pray this in your name, amen.